0: Let's Deep Dive. Hello and welcome back to Deep Dive. I'm your host, Aaron. I'm glad to have you all back today and as usual, I'd like to put out my disclaimer. These retellings are not to disrespect any persons involved. They are just meant to bring awareness to the disturbing things that happen in our own backyards. With that said, let's deep dive. On December 30th, 1982, Katie Beers was born in the town of Mastic Beach, Long Island. Katie grew up with her mother Marilyn and her older half-brother John. After a short time, their mother left them in the care of their godmother, Linda, and her husband, Salvatore. Linda was not the best caregiver for the children. She forced the kids to do their laundry, clean the bathrooms, and cook dinner for them. Katie reflects on this, stating that she was a slave in that home. But the real monster in that home was Sal. He had been sexually abusing Katie since she was two years old. When Katie turned seven, she decided to tell her godmother, Linda, what had been going on under her own roof. Linda's reaction was horrifying. She screamed at Katie, calling her a liar and to get out of her face because she didn't even want to look at her. Linda and Sal did not allow Katie to attend school. She was isolated in that home of terror. No friends. No learning. No playing. The only person she considered a friend was John Esposito a family friend who would often visit Linda and Sal's home. Katie reflects on her friendship with John as one she enjoyed. He was someone she felt she could trust. She's even gone as far as saying she felt like she loved him. John had earned the nickname Big John by all the neighborhood kids because he was well-known with the Big Brother Big Sister program. On December 28, 1992, just two days before Katie's tenth birthday, she was kidnapped. Katie was left in the care of John that day and they went to a place called Spaceplex, her most favorite place in all of Long Island. Think of it like the best arcade you've ever been to smashed with a Chuck E cheese. Just without the mechanical animals. After their time at Spaceplex, Big John asked Katie if she'd like to go to his house because he had a birthday present there for her. Of course, being an abused child with no real friends other than Big John, Katie said yes. When at Big John's home, he let Katie into his bedroom and allowed her to play a video game. When the game finished, he opened a door that led to a tunnel. This was a six-foot by seven-foot bunker hill located under Big John's garden and accessed by a six-foot-long tunnel. The entrance of this tunnel was concealed by a 200-pound concrete trap door hidden behind a removable bookcase in Big John's office. Katie would later describe the bunker as a dungeon. Inside the bunker was a small toilet, a coffin-sized soundproof room which had a dirty mattress, a television and chains that Big John would attach to Katie so she could not escape. Big John looked at Katie and said, This is your home now. I plan on keeping you here for the rest of your life. Big John then forced Katie to record a message when he had her say, A man with a knife is coming to get me. Oh my God, he's coming this way. Big John took this recording to a payphone by SpacePlex and called Marilyn's home. The answering machine picked up and Big John pressed play. Linda hears the message and runs to the phone to pick it up. She says, Katie, Katie, are you there? Then the line goes dead. Big John then heads into Spaceplex and tells the staff he lost Katie and wasn't sure where she ran off to. Linda phoned the police and made a report about the phone call. Dominic Verone, the head of the Long Island Police Kidnapping Division, was concerned about this call. He felt it wasn't a normal kidnapping. He believed someone who knew Katie had taken her and was setting everything up to look like a stranger had done this. He didn't believe a nine-year-old child would be able to run from her abductor, get to a payphone, make a call stating that a man with a knife was trying to kidnap her, and then hang up. He also found it strange for a child to use the word kidnap and he noticed that if she was in fact at a payphone on a busy street, why was there no background noise? The one thing that stood out from the call was he could hear a young girl in distress and she knew she was in danger. He knew every minute they wasted was wasted time looking for Katie. So he set his suspicions aside and focused on finding her. The police searched Spaceplex in the area surrounding it and could not find a trace of Katie. The only piece of evidence they had that something happened to her was the recorded message on the answering machine. Verone decided it was time to call the FBI. While waiting on the FBI to analyze the recording, he started looking into the family and family friends. Statistically, these are the people who abduct children. The police began to look into her mother Marilyn, her godmother Linda, and her husband Sal, and the last man to see her before the mysterious phone call, Big John. The FBI came back with their findings. They did confirm that the payphone used was the one in front of SpacePlex, which Verone found odd because there was no trace of her in that area that day. The payphone recordings showed that Linda's phone number was dialed 19 times before she decided to leave a message that a man with a knife was trying to take her. The FBI then told Verone that this was a recording of Katie being played into the phone to make it appear that Katie was actually calling Linda from the payphone in front of Spaceplex. While living in her dungeon, Big John told Katie that he was going to take a photo of her While she slept, and was going to send it to the police, so they would believe she was dead and they would stop looking for her. He would allow Katie to enter the larger part of the bunker during his visits, when he brought her food and toys to play with. When he would leave, he would chain her back up in the smaller room of the dungeon. One day, Katie knew she had to fight to get out, or she would be stuck down there forever. She began to kick at the coffin door as hard as she could. She had kicked it long enough and hard enough that it snapped. She got out of it and began feeling around on the shelves to find anything that may help her escape this nightmare. Upon reaching and feeling around, she came across a key. She heard Big John coming, so she hid it under the mattress. Big John saw the cabin door was open and was furious. This time, He sexually abused Katie for the first time. Over the course of the following 17 days, Big John would repeat this over and over again to Katie. One day, Katie was watching the TV. The news happened to be on. They were talking about her case and stated they knew where the call came from, that they knew it was pre-recorded. The news also aired her family member's. She saw her biological mother, Marilyn, come on the TV screen, begging to have her daughter back. Katie began to break down and cry. Seeing her mother upset gave her hope that people were looking for her. When Sal came up on the screen, saying he just wanted to find Katie safe and sound, Katie began to get angry. Verone had a few theories on what could have happened to Katie. One was that Katie's biological mother, Marilyn, and her brother, John, found out what was going on in Linda's house and set up an induction to save Katie from the situation, framing Big John as the culprit. However, each family member had a solid alibi during the time of the message being left on Linda's answering machine. So police focused their investigation on the last person of interest, Big John. The police started by tracing back his footsteps. There was about an hour of time that the officers could not determine what he was doing on that day. So the police got a search warrant for Big John's home. During the search, they could find no evidence of a crime. What Big John didn't know was that Verone did a background check on him, and it came back the following day. Big John claimed to be a member of the Big Brother, Big Sister community. They never accepted his application because they found out he had been involved in the kidnapping of a seven-year-old girl 15 years prior to Katie's abduction. Verone felt he had his man. He began to pressure Big John by having officers follow him everywhere. And by doing so, the media got wind of it and began to set up cameras around his home. As Katie watched the news She saw that the main suspect was Big John. She saw the house she was captured in on the TV. Katie was relieved that the police were on the right track and was hopeful they would find her soon. Verone knew he didn't have much evidence against Big John and as the days ticked by, he was afraid they wouldn't find Katie alive. Big John had put a chain around Katie's neck. That night, She decided to check the key she had hiding under the mattress. It fit into the padlock and opened the chains holding her. She counted how many links were around her neck and how many went to the wall. When she heard Big John approaching, she would quickly attach the chain back around her neck in the same position that Big John had put it in so he would not be suspicious it became harder and harder for Big John to make his visits to Katie as the police were putting all their efforts into pressuring him. He was under constant surveillance. Varone even went as far as integrating Big John in his own home. Varone saw in Big John's face he had done something with Katie, and he knew he was on the right track. Big John could feel the pressure, too. He begged Katie to play dead so he could send police the photo he scared her with before. But Katie, she knew better. She knew if she allowed him to do this, she would never see the outside world again. And she refused to take the photo. She stopped eating food he brought to her because she was afraid that it may be drugged to make her sleep. She also began forcing herself to stay awake. She did not want him to get this photo he desperately wanted to make the police think she was gone forever. Katie then decided she would ask him questions any time he came to her dungeon. What are we going to go do about school? How am I supposed to survive down here? What if I wanted to marry and have kids one day? He would always say, well, you'll do that with me. And Katie would respond with, no, I don't want to do that with you. Katie was just 10 years old and knew she had to convince her kidnapper that him keeping her captive long term would not be wise. The pressure coming from the police and Katie's constant questions were breaking him down. He told Katie he was thinking about ending his life or possibly running away forever. She knew if he did either of these things, he may take her life as well, or just leave her in the dungeon with no way out, no food, no water. She decided to lie to Big John and tell him she wasn't feeling well. Something was wrong. Big John decided to call his attorney and tell him he had something to share with him. He told his attorney, I know where Katie is. She's behind the wall. Big John sat down with police and the DA and told him how he had been making his bunker. He went through every deal of creating it. They were shocked by the steps he took to build this elaborate bunker that took him years to build. He had been planning to take Katie all these years. Verone and his team made their way into the bunker opened the door, and saw Katie sitting on a couch. They took her to the police station, and Katie told them in detail the truth of what happened to her. Big John confessed to everything. He was found guilty of kidnapping in the first degree on June 16, 1994, and sentenced to 15 years to life on July 27, 1994. Big John was found dead in his cell, on September 4th, 2013, of natural causes. Verone also discovered all the abuse Katie endured when living with Linda and her husband, Sal. He was able to get a judge to agree with him, and they placed Katie in foster care. Katie finally had a family who took care of her the way a child should be taken care of. Linda's husband, Sal, was convicted of two counts of sexual abuse of a child under 12, and sentenced to 14 to 12 years in prison. He died in prison in 2009. Katie has been forever grateful to Verone for his hard work and determination to find her and saving her by making sure she wasn't with anyone who was abusing her any further. She has gone to live the life she only dreamed of parents who love her and a husband and two children of her own. She is a true survivor She now works with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and she is also a best-selling author. Katie's story proves that you are more than what happened to you. She was determined to survive and determined to not allow her childhood trauma to affect her negatively as an adult. And that is the story of The Girl on the Wall. If you made it this far, thank you. As always... I appreciate each and every one of you who follows and supports my podcast journey. Until next time, bye!